Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Today, we've got Jim Pfeiffer with us. He is one of the founders of Left Field Investors. He's a full-time passive investor living in Dublin, Ohio. He has invested in over 30 passive syndications in his quest to become financially free through the acquisition of real estate assets that produce real cash flow. 30 syndications. I love it. Jim, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing well. Thanks. So you... Um, well, I, I want to hear all about your business, but before we kind of jump into that, because that, that's a lot of passive deals to be in. I love, I love that number. Um, what, what's your background? How, you know, and what, what, what eventually brought you to real estate investing? Well, it's a, it's a long kind of a, I don't know, circular story, I guess. Um, you know, I started out in, uh, I've, I've been in business, you know, my whole career as a big believer in the, in the stock market and mutual funds, stocks, all that. And in 2008, uh, we, we built a new house and uh, we couldn't sell our old one. So I turned into an accidental landlord. We rented it out right. and I, I did not like it. Um, did that for about five years. You know, it wasn't, wasn't a huge problem. We had a really good tenant. Um, you know, when, when I went over there to fix stuff, he made me take my shoes off at the door. Um, so they took great care of the place. But uh, I just didn't want to get calls to go fix something when I don't know how to fix stuff. Uh, so... After about five years, I, I contacted a realtor and said, hey, I'd like to sell this place. And he said, well, why don't you um, let me manage the rental for you? And I thought about it and said, you know, oh, okay, I guess, I guess that'll work. And uh, I realized at the time I, I was also transitioning into a new career as a, as a financial advisor. And, um, you know, I'd learned about equity in your home is kind of dead equity. There's no return on it. And I paid off that home. So we decided to, um, with the help of the realtor, uh, refinance the home, pull out the money and buy, buy two more rentals. So we turned one you know, mildly cash flowing asset into three uh, pretty strongly cash flowing assets. And, and that kind of got me hooked. I like real estate. So yeah. um, now I'm a, I'm a rental property owner. And naturally, um, the next thing I have to do is I have to flip a house because that's how you make the big bucks. Um, yeah. Look at so, those guys on the TV show. What, what could go wrong, right? Exactly, exactly. Well, um, you know, we ended up making hundreds of dollars on that <laughs> investment, um, which is I've not a very deals. yeah. yeah it's, it's not a very good payoff for nine months of work. Nope. Um, <laughs> we were rescued by the market because we made all kinds of bad uh, contractor decisions and all that, but the market kept rising, and and so we 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 had a nice lesson. Um, what I learned was I do not want to flip houses again. Um, so I moved on to the next thing, which was, you know, my single family homes were cash flowing nicely in a, a neighborhood. So I thought, well, you get more cash flow with multifamily and even more if they're in C, C class neighborhoods. So I thought I'll go buy a fourplex and uh, talk to a, a new, a new realtor because my other one didn't want anything to do with that. And uh, the new guy said, you know, I don't know how it happened, but we ended up looking at a 22 unit and um, ended up buying it. And the whole time I was kind of throwing up obstacles to the seller, you know, decreasing the price, doing all this stuff after I visited and, and he kept agreeing to things. It should have told me something. Um, but anyway, we, we bought the 22 unit and shortly after that we bought an eight and a four. And so uh, we were kind of multifamily people there. And what I realized after the fact really 
is that I, I hadn't set it up properly. I was trying to fund the rehab from my cash flows rather than, you know, setting up a CapEx ahead of time. And so it, it was really just a struggle. Every time my property manager wanted to evict, you know, a, a drug seller or whatever in those apartments, I was arguing against it because I needed the cash flow. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up um, eventually selling out of those. And again, the market saved me because, you know, you can, anyone can make money in multifamily over the last few years. Well, not anyone, but um, most. And so, you know, I ended up with this uh, doubling the, the value of those um, despite everything. And, and um, then I went to my accountant and I was kind of getting the syndication a little bit because I went to a uh, syndication seminar that the real estate guys put on. And I went there thinking I was going to be a syndicator and I left thinking I wanted to be a passive and do some, you know, invest in syndications. Right. So I, I was talking to my accountant and I had a big capital gain from selling those properties. And he has the, he said, well, why don't you just do a, what he calls a lazy 1031. And uh, I didn't want to get into a new bigger uh, deal. So I ended up um, investing in multiple passive syndications in order to get the cost segregation and depreciation to wipe out my capital gain. And so that's how, you know, I reinvested uh, most of that capital into syndications and um, learned a lot along the way. And, you know, part of it was after I went to the syndication seminar, I had a, a, a self-directed IRA and that's how I kind of jumped into syndications. So, Cause those felt less risky because it's retirement funds and I knew I wouldn't need it for a while. So if I messed yeah. up, that was okay. And I probably wouldn't do a whole lot of those investments now. Um, not that they're bad investments. I just think of things differently now. Um, and so that led me to um, doing the, the passive syndication and, and investing in the 30-odd syndications over the, over the past few years. I love it. Yeah, that's, that's quite a journey there. And, you know, one that a lot of people take single family and then kind of discovering syndication. And then once you discover this world of syndication, kind of finding your sweet spot. You know, some people discover they're really good at raising capital, but they can't do operations. Other people discover that passive investing, it, you know, it, with the right deal is truly like a hands-off deal. And those of us that have managed real estate projects understand how much work and, um, <laughs> you know, how much work goes into it just period. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of di discovered your niche there. Um, going back to the smaller multifamily projects that you guys bought, was it in your backyard and who was managing that for you? Because those are kind of interesting from a management perspective, those smaller, you know, 20, 20 some odd unit deals. Yeah, they were in uh, Columbus, which is, is where I, I live. Um, they weren't, they were they're kind of on the other side of town. But so the, the, the guy I had met, I, I don't recall how I met him. He was both the realtor and the property manager. Um, and so, you know, he, he, when we went through and we were trying to figure out how much it would cost to rehab the place, he really underestimated the costs. And, and that was, you know, and I didn't know anything and I was kind of relying on him, not, not to blame him, but right. um, you know, when he thought, you know, he said it would cost an average of five grand to turn a unit and, and it turned into closer to eight, you know, he was using um, his maintenance men to do the turns rather than, you know, if I hired somebody third party out, they could probably do it for cheaper, but there's just a lot of things I didn't know. And I think, Part of it um, for me in real estate has always been um, kind of run the numbers because I'm a numbers guy. I have Excel spreadsheets, you know, everywhere, but yep. kind of just taking a chance, realizing that, you know, if I do it right, I probably won't lose money, but I'm going to learn through experience. And, and that's kind of how my 
journey was. I learned that I don't want to do flips. I don't want to manage, you know, C-class multifamily properties. I still have some of my, um, my single family homes. I did a few turnkeys, but you know, I think part of the thing is you got to find out what you're good at and what you're interested in. And, and so I, I think a lot of people, you know, start out with single family and, and move through. And, and so I, I guess I'm kind of uh, going off on a tangent there, but the, um, the property manager was, was very conservative, but I don't think our interests were exactly aligned. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. Um, we rely on a lot of partners and vendors to get us through these deals successfully. And there's, there's some pitfalls there that, that aren't easy to spot um, out of the gates. So that's right. I like what you said though about jumping in and, and being willing to learn. I mean, ideally we identify all of the challenges ahead of time and account for them. But that is just a lot of times that's not how it goes unless you've been doing it a long time. You kind of anticipate some of these things. But getting started uh, out of the gate, there's just going to be a learning curve there. And some of that stuff can only happen through through experience, uh, unfortunately. But it sounds like you had kind of committed to that early on in order to power through some of those lessons, right? Yeah. And I think when I, when I bought the 22 unit, you know, that was not my intention. But as I, as I was learning, the guy's like, you can make these curb offers and, and um, they're not binding. If you, if you don't like the color of the paint, you can get out of the deal. And so I was slowly getting more comfortable. Um, I walked through all the units and I'm like, oh my God, there's too much to, you know, it needs too much work. And so I kind of calculated what I thought that would be and deducted that from the, from the cost um, and the seller accepted it. And so at each step of the way, we kind of, um, I got a little bit more comfortable. And by the time we bought it, I was terrified, but I also thought, you know, I ran the worst case. Worst case is this doesn't work out for me and I, I sell it. Um, but, you know, as I said, I kind of got rescued by the market. If I would have had a better plan going in, it would have been a better, I would have been better off. For, for example, the way I got rid of that property is um, I sold it to a, a, a guy I know very well and we've partnered in other deals and he runs the business that he rehabs apartments. And wow. he was willing to, to buy it at a price that was a really big win for me. And, you know, within a year or so, he had uh, made it, he had done all the updates and everything, and uh, he was able to refinance it and, and, you know, almost double his money. So, yep. I, left, I left money on the table, but I was really satisfied that I got out and made what I thought was a good profit and that, you know, I was able to, to sell him and he was able to make a good profit. You know, I, I wouldn't have felt right if he had, had gone and, and not made money on it. So, it really worked out. And I think it shows also the partnerships that you can have in real estate where, you can really create these situations where both parties win. I mean, he and I still do business together. I'm happy that he made money and, um, you know, we, we've all benefited from it. And I'm glad that I was able to exit the property. I didn't want to be in it anymore. Um, I probably could have, you know, figured out a way to stay in it, change property managers, all that, but I was just ready to, to move on. And he was, he helped me out of it. So it's a win-win. Yeah, that, that's a huge thing. One of the things I like about being in this space that I noticed early on from some of my mentors was, a lot of times you can create this win-win scenario for everybody. And if that's, uh, I, I didn't always feel that was the case in the corporate world, but in this kind of entrepreneurial real estate world, it's, it is possible to create those types of scenarios. You mentioned two things that I, I wanted to kind of highlight. Um, one is that it's a small world. Like you get into multifamily and it is a small world, man. We just bought a deal, um, in San Antonio is, you know, 20 something million dollar deal from good friend of mine, been friends for years. 
I was there with him when he bought the property, you know? And so it's like this tiny, tiny world that, that you're not out to just make a quick buck for the day. You're, you're in this sometimes, you know, we have like a multi-year, multi-decade lens on this kind of thing. So small world and, and you know, be, be the kind of uh, golden rule applies here for sure. Uh, the other is around buyer profiles, you know, and I think a lot of us have experience with, kind of single family sales, right? Here's the house. Here's what it's worth. Here's what it's going to praise for and sell for. And, that, and that's fine. But in multifamily, it's not, it's, it's not that one dimensional. I mean, you might have a 1031 guy with $10 million that, man, I need to park this in the next 30 days. I'm okay to overpay a little bit. Or somebody that's got their rehab stuff dialed in like your guy did that is looking at it differently than, than you would. And so you've got a lot of different buyer profiles out there. It's not a one size fits all. And it's really kind of matchmaking amongst the uh, buyers and sellers. But uh, that's it's an important takeaway for people to understand is that there's, there's all kinds of different buyer profiles out there that are looking at deals differently maybe than, than you would. Um, I want to touch on left field investors and, and this kind of club concept that you guys put together. What was the genesis of that and, and what is that? So I, I started a, um, a real estate meetup in Columbus when I was doing the multifamily and, and, and more active kind of thing uh, because we didn't have a whole lot of meetups that I liked. So, you know, that, that grew and, you know, before the pandemic, we had 60, 70 people sometimes come into our monthly meetings. Um, at the same time, it wasn't as interesting to me anymore because I was, I was transitioning to doing the passive stuff. So I decided I would um, kind of put feelers out and see if anybody in the group wanted to also had any interest in passive investing. And so we got a group of 12 people. And the reason it was 12 was because that was the uh, largest private room I could get in a restaurant in Columbus where they didn't charge me anything. So <laughs> my group was going to nice. be 12 people. We we're going to get together, have dinner and, and talk about passive investing. And our first meeting was set for, I believe, March 18th. And oh. in Ohio, you know, we closed down on the 15th. So that meeting was done and canceled, yep. which, you know, one of the only good things to come out of this pandemic um, was the cancellation of that meeting because it meant we had to go to Zoom. And that allowed us to include some other people that were around or, and, and make our group a little bit bigger. It also allowed us to have guests on, syndicators could come and, and talk to our group. And so it turned into, I, I, we wanted to keep it about 20 people just to keep it small so we'd all know each other. And at the time, there was only one other person that had done any deals that was in the group. And um, so I kind of started it thinking, he and I were going to share our wisdom with everybody and, and educate everybody in the group. And what ended up happening was I got so much out of it. I learned um, as much or more than, than anybody else did. And, and slowly, you know, the group kind of, um, we slowly added a few people here and there. And then um, we realized we were all talking to syndicators and, and trying to do deals and we didn't have a collective voice. Uh, so we wanted to brand it. And the, the name left field investors comes from my background as a, um, as a financial advisor and some of the other guys is uh, just being in finance too, that, you know, any mainstream financial people look at us like we're coming from left field, you know, these crazy guys, these alternative investments, right. where I think of it as alternative. It's, it's the place you live that, you know, real estate is where everybody goes to do everything. Right. So it's not alternative to me, but so we slowly, um, we, we branded it and then um, we just started building a community and we've uh, we, we built the website and, and basically, like I think you said in your open, we're um, we're trying to get a build a community of, of, of like minded 
people who are interested in creating financial freedom by passively investing in real assets that generate real cash flow. And that's the key to us is that, you know, if you're investing in the stock market, to me, that's like speculation because you're, you're buying a piece of paper, a digital piece of paper, and hoping that the price will go up and you'll be able to sell it to somebody else for more. And then they're going to perpetuate the process where if you're buying a real asset, I'm not sure I care. I mean, I do, but I don't care if the value goes up or down because I'm using the cash flow. And then the appreciation on the backside is, is a long time away and it's a bonus, but the, the cash flow is what, is what we're looking for. And it, it's been really nice to have this community because there's a lot of uh, syndicators and other people who are, you know, educating or, or, or trying to help people learn. Um, but we don't, we're not going to be, we're not trying to be GPs or get into deals or do anything. We are just a community of people trying to help each other. So we've got some tools like a deal analyzer that helps people kind of uh, sift through and, and look at different metrics on, on deals. We have a sponsor screener. We're going to have a, um, we're going to have a tool that, that helps you track all of your investments because no one really has a good one of those that I've seen out there. And then we're also going to have a, uh, a, a section where you can review sponsors like on Yelp, you know, because I think part of the, the, the struggle is when you're trying to meet new sponsors or if you don't know somebody else has had the same experience, it's a, it's a really big hurdle to invest 25, 50 grand in one deal um, with someone that you, that you barely know. And so just having the confidence, like when I first started this, this group, uh, there was another guy in the group who, the one who had also done some uh, passive investing and when we compared notes and found out that we were in a couple of the same deals, yeah. I mean, it was like weight off my shoulders. Like, oh sure. my God, someone else has the confidence in this sponsor just like I do. And so the more I've been networking in, in the community and, and learning, you know, every time I hear someone, oh, I invested with this one or I invested with that one, it's just another layer of, okay, I'm on the right track. This is a person I know, like, and trust that's invested with the same people I have. So it gives me comfort. And so that's what we're trying to, uh, to provide is, is, is a place where people can learn and, and grow together. Because as I've said, it's hard to know what you're doing in this space. And, it, and each time you need to, you're investing with someone, it's a big lift. It's 25 grand, 50 grand. And uh, so helping people get comfortable with that is, is a big part of it. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, it, you talked about alternative investments. So much of this in the beginning for anybody uh, looking to be a passive investor is just education and comfort level, right? I mean, we've been taught, stock market stuff, maybe our whole life. It's, you can talk to any adult that's got investable capital about it. There's like a common language there. Um, and, and obviously that's changed in the, in recent years, you know, with this explosion of podcasts and educational platforms to where you can start to be speaking the same language as, as other people, but there's no substitute for community. There's just no substitute. I mean, you can learn in a vacuum all you want. You can learn a nomenclature, learn what an exit cap rate is, but um, you, ha you have to connect with other people. As a spot, as a yeah. running a deal or as a passive investor, I mean, you just got to, and ideally you're doing it, you know, face to face. Obviously in 2020, that's been a challenge, but um, you got to connect with other people and that, that's, how it, that's how it grows, right? Yeah, and, and that's what we're doing. We're, we're also... Um, we're helping people invest with, with, with groups, which I think is, is another thing that, you know, it, this is really uh, exclusive to high net worth people to, to be able to cut checks for 25 or 50 grand. And so um, we work with a company called TribeVest that um, helps groups invest together. Hmm. So we have, we have a group that um, there's five of us and, and whenever we want to do a deal, we, we each throw in five or 10 grand 
and we've created an LLC and we through through Tribest and we can invest in these deals. And and there's um you know in left field investors there's other groups that are forming of people who kind of click together and and they they want to invest together where you know because part of it is diversification right you want to be able to invest in multiple sponsors multiple deals multiple markets so you're not all you know eggs in one basket right well if every time you invest it's going to cost you 25 or 50 grand it's hard to get the diverse diversification that you need right. and so that's where this group investing um approach is is pretty novel and and it's super helpful to us because we can be in, you know, I'm in four of these these groups, so it allows me to put smaller amounts into into more deals. Yeah, that's great. That's a great approach. Um, I love it because, yeah, I yeah. mean, if you got a 50k minimum and you're trying to be in five deals, you know, there's a quarter million bucks yeah. of deployable yeah. capital right there. You got to find right. somewhere, which is fine. Uh, you know, it is what it is, but. Um, I like the diversity, you know, diversifying across multiple deals. Let me ask you, since you've looked at so many, you're in so many deals, you've talked to so many sponsors, you've done kind of a lot of that homework. What is one thing that you, that you love that you've seen a sponsor do and one thing that maybe is a pet peeve that you've seen a sponsor do? And that, this is for sponsors out there. This is for investors out there to, you know, to, to, to know about. But maybe, maybe a, a, a good thing and a bad thing that you've seen in all your, in all your experience. Yeah, this may seem trivial, um, but really it's re response time. Yeah. If I'm sending you an email and you um, email me back in a, you know, timely fashion, that says so much about everything, right? The, the, I'm in a couple of deals that I wish I wasn't in. And in both of those deals, the um, sponsors were poor communicators from the beginning. And all the deals that are working out, the, the sponsors are, are great communicators. And if I have a question, they're going to answer all of them. First of all, if someone doesn't answer your questions, like when they send out the executive summary and I put it in my uh, deal analyzer and it pops out five questions, if I send an email and I don't get a response or, um, you know, they, they refuse to answer questions, that, that tells you all you need to know right there. And, and it's really, a, a, it's a silly metric, but I found it, it, it's true. And, you know, I have a couple sponsors where I've tried to, our first call, and they have to cancel, which I get it. People cancel in their schedule. But when it happens a few times and they're not proactive about rescheduling, you know, that's just, I'm done. And, and it sounds, like I said, it sounds really trivial, but communication is so important because there is, there, I can't think of a less liquid investment than me investing in your syndication. That's right. I can't get out of it, right? It's the least liquid thing I'm going to do. And yep. I'm not going to know whether you did a good job for four or five years. The only thing, the only way I can track that investment is, are you paying distributions like you said you would? And are you sending out the monthly or quarterly updates like you said you would? Those are the only things I can track really. Um, and so if you're, if you're not communicating right out of the gates, then why would I think you communicate down the line? So I think in answer to your question, that the good is if you're a good communicator and respond in timely fashion, that's good. And if you don't, you know, that's bad. And I know it's not something technical or, or, or maybe what people are looking for, but that's like the first layer. That's the first thing to me. Yeah, that's great feedback. It, there's a lot that goes into making that happen as a sponsor, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's indicative of a whole kind of behind the scenes, what the operations are, are uh, what, what's happening. And so, you know, if people have crisp communication, they've got good marketing, they've got good response times, and they've got you know, updates that come out when they should, 
that sponsor put a lot of time and energy to, to, to make that happen, right? It didn't happen by accident. So it kind of gives you behind the scenes look at maybe the operations of the, of the company. And, and I love it. I'm the, I'm the same way. I it is my biggest pet peeve, people canceling uh, meetings. It is my big or being late to meetings. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things that's helped me in my business is or many years ago, putting a dollar per hour activity. Hey, here's what I want to earn. And what's that worth per hour? And just being vigilant about every day saying, am I really spending my time at that kind of dollar per hour? So, you know, somebody wastes 30 minutes of my time or your time I go, man, that's real money. You know, yeah. and that's very disrespectful um, from, from a finance perspective and just in, in general. So that's definitely yep. one of my pet peeves. So that's good feedback. And I think that's kind of both points, right? And it, and it's the tip for the passive investor is look for that responsiveness. And the tip for the sponsor uh, out there, or the aspiring sponsor is, um, you know, go over the top on communication, make sure that it's, that it's dialed in, make sure you have your systems together to be able to, uh, to, to deliver that experience. That's, that's good feedback. Um, I, you mentioned something earlier about the, the like a dashboard right and this is something that i've kind of run into with my own investments because you know i'm a we run all our deals uh, i'm a you know we we've got our core deals that we buy and run we've got kind of the next concentric circle deals that i'm a key principal on or a partner on then you've got another concentric circle that deals where i'm a limited partner just investor on and it's growing every year and you know i've kind of cobbled together something to kind of keep track of that but it's uh, kind of a workaround, right? Now our investors yeah. have a really clean dashboard that they see because that's for them, but I've got other stuff beyond that kind of personally. So what are you guys working on there? I'm just kind of curious, maybe from a user perspective that people that get into multifamily, they like it. And, and the natural progression is to start to get in a lot of deals, maybe with a lot of different sponsors, you know, they might have portals, they might not, it's kind of all over the place, but what's yeah. your, you know, what are you guys working on there? Well, you know, you want to see it in one place, right? Yeah. So you yeah. have a great portal and, and so do other people, but it doesn't assemble everything together. So I have a right. couple of different spreadsheets that feed each other and, and it's just a disaster because some people pay me monthly, some pay quarterly, some pay annually. So you can't like set up a standard spreadsheet. And then you also want to compare what's actually happening with the pro forma. And right. so it, it really becomes complicated quickly. And um, so again, working with our community, there's a, there's a guy who's an Excel wizard and, and figured out a way to get it out of Excel. We haven't, we're just getting there um, to where we're going to try to find a developer to help us out. But basically the goal is to be able to look at every um, deal in a, in a row and then have filters where you can search by city and it'll list all the, all the Houston deals or, you know, by sponsor or list all the DJE deals. And then, um, and then do some totals so you can kind of see what your cash flow is every month, your cash flow by quarter. And so there's a lot of different moving parts, but I haven't found a good Excel solution. And I've talked to a lot of experienced investors who have more deals than I do, and they all say they're using at least two different spreadsheets and it's chaos. You know, just little things like, you know, the, the wire is due uh, February 2nd. Okay, well, I got to have that in there. So I remember to send the wire because I don't really want to send the wire a month early. So right. there's just a lot of little components that go in there. And so what we did is we took a couple of different people's spreadsheets and just picked all the most important information on those spreadsheets and then decided, okay, let's totally get out of Excel and figure out how we can do this in a web-based model. And so that's, that's what we're going to do. It's in the very beginnings because 
um, you know, we're just trying to find someone who can do the, the development for us. And, and then again, we're not really, I mean, we're not really a company, right? We're a community. So trying to find the funds to uh, pay someone to do it is always a challenge. But um, we're, we're working on a few things there. And, and we hope to have something, I don't know, maybe hopefully in the first quarter of uh, 2021 that we, can, that we can share with the community. Yeah. Yeah. Outstanding. Outstanding. I love it. I think, I think the, the need for that type of product exists. Um, just being a passive investor myself and have like, God, what's my portal login for this sponsor? You know, they pay quarterly. I kind of forgot about it. I mean, I'll read the updates or whatever, but you know, it's like keeping track of portals. And I appreciate that a sponsor has a portal. They invested in that and it's great to, it's better than not having one, but then you've got um, five of them, 10 of them. Right. And there's there's nothing that that puts them all in one spot. And so, eventually, I don't even know if this is possible, but man, wouldn't it be great if we could develop this web-based tool and then I could link to your portal and your portal would send automatically send the information um, to, to our system. Now right. that's way off in the future, but that, you know, that would be, that would be ideal rather than having to, to punch it all in. But right now, I mean, I'm, I want to know if my distributions are coming and how much they are because I, I'm doing this full time. So I want to see what my income is. Yep. Um, and once you're over just a couple of deals, it's, it's a lot to track. And yep. so having something that you're still for now going to have to manually input the information, but to have a setup where it's user friendly and web based and, and easily sortable and searchable is uh, that's really what we're hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, keep me posted on the progress there. Um, I will. This is a great journey that, that you've been on here. And I, and I love the story kind of going from, you know, traditional investor to, to small real estate to larger. And then it seems like a lot of people end up in uh, multifamily syndication. I spent way too much time flipping houses for sure. Um, <laughs> if somebody wants to reach out, Jim, and kind of connect with you and your community, what's a good avenue for them to do that? Um, there's there's two, two places. You can send me an email at jim at leftfieldinvestors.com or you can just go to our website and uh, there's a contact us form and there's also like a little pop-up and all those emails come directly to me. Um, we're, we're still, we're still small and, and, and growing. We get people signing up all the time, but um, yeah, if someone wants to, and usually what I do is, is I offer to have a call with anybody who wants to join our group just because we're trying to, to keep it, um, you know, personal. So everybody sure. kind of knows everybody. And then we have uh, monthly meetings uh, the fourth Monday of every month at seven o'clock Eastern. We have a monthly zoom meeting with um, different guests and uh, sponsors and investors and accountants and, and other, other kind of things. So we're still working on all this. It's a, it's a new community. We're, we're just kind of growing. And um, so if people are interested, we are more than happy to have a conversation and see if we're a fit for them. Outstanding. Well, we'll link to the uh, website in the show notes there and folks can reach out. But Jim, thank you very much for, for taking some time to share your story. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. All righty. Take care. See ya. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.